Welcome to another episode of Money You Should Ask. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler. And in this episode, we're going to explore, question, examine, dig deep, converse, expose, laugh, and cry about the money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges of our next guest. Turn up the volume, listen, learn, and laugh. Good news, bad news. Bad news first. Growth comes from learning, which is a lifelong endeavor. Good news. Growth comes from learning, which is a lifelong endeavor. At the Money Nerve Academy, we hold space to explore, navigate, discover, and heal your relationship with money. With our online course, Mastering the Emotions of Money, you can get in touch with your fears, blocks, and beliefs around money so that you can become more aware of your current financial story. By understanding why you do what you do with your money, you can create a different ending to your financial story than the one currently taking place. Check out themoneynerve.com and start mastering your emotions of money. Well, today, our guest is Jason O. Miles. He is a real estate entrepreneur, consultant, and educator. He's extremely passionate about business development, which began with his first business in real estate, Salient Development and Investments, LLC. An entrepreneur and business owner for over 20 years, Jason has had a variety of unique experiences ranging from owning an automotive and finance company to helping build a real estate firm. He has created a niche in working with small businesses, utilizing his top-notch sales skills and a passion for helping others succeed. Jason has also been featured as a platform speaker where he has shared the stage with many well-known motivational speakers and investment professionals. In his spare time, he and his business partner, Steve Connolly, who we recently had as a guest on the show, have developed Real Estate 360 Pro, which is an online resource focusing on real estate investing training. So, Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. And you are coming to us today from? Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia. I love Atlanta, Georgia. wide open down here. Peachy, peachy, peachy. (laughs) That it is. That's the place to be. So, all right. So you are now, you've, you've got your empire as you're taking over the world one house at a time. Um, what, what got you into real estate? Like, was that, were you, when you were seven, eight years old, were you like, I want to own all the real estate or like, how did you get here? So for me, it was, it was looking for something else to do. I was in the entertainment business for a long time since I was young, promotions, management, and marketing. Okay. And in my mid-20s, I started to have a family. Right. And the, the entertainment business keeps you, it keeps you on the road. And I didn't want to do that. I, I'm an active father, uh, and uh, I don't want to miss anything. So I had to find something else to do. Uh, so I sat around for a while trying to figure out what it was. And ironically, when I quit that business, I, I had some real estate, and I sold those. But I bought that real estate to save money because you've got all these street teams, right? Right. These people, these groups of people that you have to send, you know, from one city to the next. And the cities that I frequented, that we spent the most time in, instead of putting them in hotels, I bought condos because they would just destroy the hotels and it would cost me an enormous amount of money. Keep in mind now, this is in the, you know, the the late 90s, mid to late 90s. So cell phone usage wasn't as <laughs> prevalent Pre- as it yep. is today. So they're all they're using the phones, they're beating up the mini bar, they're ordering food, just tearing up the rooms, and it wound up costing me more money. So in an effort to save money, I bought real estate. Yeah. Because if they wanted to eat, they had to go buy it. That's right. Right? That's right. <laughs> if they wanted to, to drink, they had to go buy it. 
And uh, so I sold that stuff, man. And it took me about two and a half years before the light went off and said, hey, you made money on accident in real estate. Just imagine what would happen if you put your mind to it. If you focus. And what gave you, like, like a lot of people might be in business and not have the wherewithal to say, gosh, maybe I should buy condos and save some money. Like, where did you have a financial background? Did you have parents that were very proactive and supportive and, and giving you guidance or were you doing it on your own and it was just natural impulse? It was just a natural impulse. My family, as it relates to money, is completely opposite uh, <laughs> uh, for who I am today. Okay. <laughs> so, so, I mean, my mother played the, the you know, robbing Peter to play pay Paul game, yep. you know, week after week after week. I mean, just constantly. Uh, the, um, unfortunately, it's where I learned about kiting. Right, oh, what yes. that was, because <laughs> you can't float checks anymore. You, you, you know, cannot. She, no, you can't do that anymore. She was the queen of floating checks, uh, but she she did what she had to do. Right, That's I, right. I did not have any uh, financial education whatsoever. Uh, being in the entertainment business, my job was to pay attention to the dollars and cents, making sure artists got paid, making sure uh, travel was taken care of, per diem, so on and so forth. So uh, that was what I was uh, innately good at, you know, and yeah. that was something that just showed itself as I did it. It wasn't something that I looked towards doing. Right. I didn't get into the music business to be, you know, a contract writer or a contract observer. Right. That's not what I that's not what I wanted to do, but it wound up being where my skill set was. Yeah. That was where, you know, I was good and. I was good from a very early age at making sure the I's were dotted and the T's were crossed. And I just developed that over the years. And a lot of the uh, executives that we worked with would say, hey, have you ever thought about doing you know, this or doing that? Because I paid attention to the dollars and cents. Yeah. And I liken that business or my experience at that time to a, a very well-paid babysitter. Oh, nice. <laughs> with lots so. of benefits. Lots of benefits, lots of benefits. But there's, you know, as good as it can be on one side, it can be equally as bad on the other. And more often than not, it is. But, you know, it's all about our tolerance levels, right? Yeah. I I just couldn't tolerate it anymore. It wasn't something I wanted to be a part of, regardless of how how good the money was. I simply, I'm passionate about making money, but I was not passionate about making it in that industry. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, that's important to know that, I think it's true for me as well. I I enjoy money. I enjoy what it does. um, But Mm -hmm. it is not my overall driving factor in my decision making. Because if I'm not having a good time or I don't like the people I'm working with, uh, you can't pay me enough. Like, there's no dollar amount you can pay me to want to do something. That's for sure. And one of the things I tell people about or – you know, there's different theories and ideologies about all kinds of things. And you'll hear people say, listen, you know, find your passion and just do that. You know, if you can't be passionate about it, you shouldn't do it. And there is some truth in that. Mm-hmm. But overall, I find that we're gravitated. Our passion generally gravitates towards what makes us money, especially when we can control certain factors. Right. I and mean, when you own the company, you can decide who you want to work with. Exactly. Right? Or, or I should say how you want to work with a person. Because there's a lot of people we work with that are very, very good at what they do, but we just don't like each other. Right. 
<laughs> but it doesn't mean we don't do business together. Absolutely. And I think that's probably why I've worked for myself for a very long time. <laughs> it's because <laughs> I don't like other people telling me what to do. <laughs> Absolutely. I like telling people what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But with love. I always do it with love. <laughs> you got it. You got it. I mean, and that's what it all, all boils down to. You know, I, uh, Buddha has, and I'm not a Buddhist, but I really enjoy um, history and philosophy. Uh, Buddha has this saying, you know, believe nothing unless, it's, unless it agrees with your own reason. Mm. And when I, when I hear things like that, it's not that you're, you want to surround yourself with yes men. Right. You know, it's not that at all. But we have to be open to these new ideas and these new opportunities that present themselves. And if you asked me 20 years ago or 30 years ago, you know, what I'd be doing, I'd be knee deep in the entertainment business. Right. I'd be retired, you know, or, or knocking on the door of retirement right now from that business. I never, ever imagined being someone who would uh, be teaching people how to make money yeah. or um, learn, you know, the different aspects of wealth and what it really takes to or what it means to have wealth, acquire wealth. You know, I just never thought that that's what I'd be doing coming from the background that I come from. Yeah. You know, I don't come from anything. Right. And do you remember when you were younger, was there a specific moment where you said, for whatever you might have said, it might have been, you know what, I don't like being poor or I want oh, absolutely. I want what they have. Or like, do you remember that moment of you said, you know what, I'm doing it different? Absolutely. Uh, for me, I was uh, 14 years old. Mm -hmm. There was a, a concert that came in town. I was working with a, a rap group. I was a part of a rap group. All right. You know? <laughs> uh but, you know, I'm a big guy, you know, I'm 6'4", you know, in shape, I'm 270, that's in shape. <laughs> <You're> about, <laughs> you know? I'm about three of you, okay? <laughs> so, I mean, even though I'm in the rap group, I'm always the guy uh, that's at the door, right? Yeah. So, um, but there was a gentleman that we, that we met, a promoter, that had brought this group uh, in town that we were fighting to open for and he liked us and he spent time with us and he started to talk and it was watching this guy who I, who I'd never met before, obviously listening to him, watching how he moved and navigated through the club and was just, you know, do this, go here, make this happen. Don't do that. Making sure that everyone was happy. And in the, at the end of the night, he's walking away with a big check. Right. <clears throat> so I asked him, you know, what it is he does. I mean, I see that you brought this here, but how does that work? And that began a relationship. That was the very beginning of a relationship where uh, I got a chance to work with this guy. You know, every time he came in town and then that you know, over the course of the next two years turned into me being an assistant on the road, which ultimately meant, meant you know, he threw his briefcase at me and said, hold it, don't say anything, just do what I tell you. Right. And I, and I was very good at listening. Ah, that's you know? amazing. So the main thing what I'm hearing is some curiosity, mm -hmm. um, not being afraid to ask some questions, mm -hmm. um, willing to take in the information and then actually listening. Exactly. And, and then waiting for my opportunity to do something. And I understood, you know, I was a kid. I was 16. Yeah. I was happy that my mother even let me go and do these things, to be honest with you. Right. I mean, those experiences were 
amazing for an adult, let alone a child. Yeah. And um, coming home with, you know, three or four thousand dollars after a week or five days on the road in the summer was beyond concept. I remember when my mother got a raise to thirty thousand dollars. Right. And we had a steak dinner. I mean, that was a you know, that was a a huge milestone. Of course, that was in the early 80s. Yeah. You know, but, you know, that was a $30,000. I mean, she thought she won the lottery. Right. We thought we won the lottery. Right. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So, what, but the, the, the floating of checks never stop. The, the, it, it never does. <laughs> never does. Well, more it does money now. Just <laughs> you can't do exactly. It. You can't do exactly. It. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I had a couple of those moments in my younger years. And, uh, <laughs> Thank goodness I'm not living in this. This well, I am living in this day and age. But at that time, not having money yeah. and not having the float. Um, do yeah. what were your biggest hurdles growing up uh, as a as a as a kid? As you started to get in the entertainment industry, I mean, maybe you had no hurdles, but but were there hurdles? And how did you deal with them? Well, my biggest hurdle was patience. To be honest with you, uh, I have. No shame in the things that I want to do. My ambition leads me. And I'm okay with asking questions and finding my way to the next to the next person and the next person and the next person. I want to be the lowest man on the totem pole in every room I'm in. I'm looking to be the lowest man on the totem pole in every single room I'm in. And, um, and I put myself in those situations. I found ways to get myself invited to certain things where I could meet people, mingle, talk, uh, see what opportunities I could develop. You know, that was a strength for me. And in some, some people would say that's a weakness. You know, your, your ambition can hold you back in certain circumstances. Well, I can understand how that may play out in a corporate environment, but I was never in a corporate environment. Right. If my success is my success. And the more successful I am, the people that I'm working with and for in some cases are going to be that much more successful as well. And I, I utilized uh, their appetite for success to fuel mine. Yeah, that's so awesome. And I know one of the things that you said, which I, I want to repeat because I think it's so important and I think so many people don't feel this. You said there's no shame in my ambition. Exactly. And I think that is so key because so many people have guilt or shame about I want to get ahead, I want a better mm-hmm. life, I want to have abundance, I want to be seen as a leader, whatever those things might be. And so mm-hmm. our fear and our shame hold us back. And mm-hmm. to just um, just proudly claim this is what I stand for mm-hmm. uh, is, is just a, is such a powerful place to come from. Absolutely. And more people need to, to be about that because the reality of it is we're going to experience every emotion in the emotional rainbow on every level that we achieve. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there are days, you know, I may have, you know, we might be closing a $3 million deal, but, I'm still a little nervous. There's still a little fear. There's still a little doubt even. Am I doing this right? Is this the right move? You know, did I did I structure it correctly? You know, there's always this doubt. Can I continue, you know, this upward projection? You know, that fear can stifle a lot of people. You've met people before who had a goal. 
you know, and that goal might be, I want to make $150,000 this year. And they hit that goal in six months. Right. And now, here's what separates, uh, I don't want to say the winners from the losers, but people that have defined what it is they really want to do and people that are just kind of guessing. You set that $150,000 goal, one person is going to say, I didn't set it high enough. I hit it in six months. I should have set a half a million. And then they're going to adjust it right there to a half a million or 350000 by the end of the year, which is six months down the line. The other person is going to feel as though they've accomplished something and can now take a three-week vacation, right. you know, spend a little too much money, you know, come back, you know, a month later, and they've blown through you know, $25,000 and they're like, oh, well, I didn't think about taxes or, you know, there's still all this time left or whatever the case. And because they didn't leave their business working for them while they left, they have to start all over again. So it's like starting from ground zero. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and let me ask you this. If you look back on your history of experiences and all of that, do you have any financial stories where it's like, man, I wished I had done it different, or this was my one regret was, gosh, I wish I had. You know, um, to quote Jay-Z, you got to learn to live with regret. You know, (laughs) Uh, So I I have to say, I mean, are there moments of regret? Yeah, but I I can't honestly sit here now and say there was this moment or there were these moments because – Sharks got to swim, man, or they die. Right. You know, I got to. I just got to keep moving. Yeah. You know, and I, I have to put it in my rearview mirror and learn from it, of course, and, and do things differently. Like my first multifamily, you know, I that I did on my own. Yeah. Uh, you know, I structured that thing. I, I knew what to do. I had my operations in place. Once I closed on it, it was totally not what I anticipated because I was too quick to get into the deal. Mm. I was too quick to get in. As long as I felt, as long as the numbers align, I could work everything else out. And of course I did $200,000 later, you know, (laughs) so, (laughs) you know, and I don't care who you are. That's a big nut to swallow. Right. That's a big nut to swallow. And, And I had to figure that out. I had investors. I had to make sure that they were taken care of over the term of this project. But I had to swallow that. And had I just slowed down, taken an extra week to look at the deal and then offer something different, maybe, or get some kind of consideration for things that needed to be done, because ultimately you feel like you paid too much money. Right. But and and you did. But it was your it was my my choice. My actions led me to spend too much money right. because I was too anxious to get into the deal. Yeah, and I think it's so important uh, that people uh, start to look at reinterpret failure as lessons um, mm-hmm. so that it's not like, oh, I failed. It's, oh, I got another lesson <laughs> that I didn't know That's I right. was going to get. Um, That's right. And I also think, like you're saying, yes, it could have done it different, but – I, for me, I look back and say, well, I did the best I could with the information that I had. And mm-hmm. so I don't regret it in that sense because I was working with the available information um, yeah. and I had some blind spots. Um, and so I think for people 
to be a little bit more gentle with themselves, to be a little uh, kinder and compassionate when we make those lessons mm-hmm. um, come to fruition so that then we can keep moving forward and learn. Yeah, because the reality of it is if you, if you make a mistake, you got to own it, right? Yeah. And owning it doesn't mean beating yourself up. It right. means learning from it and moving forward. Beating yourself up causes you to lose sleep, you know, have heart conditions, have a stroke, you know, all kind of, you know, poor relationships, personal relationships, because you can't let it go. You just have to let go. It, it happened. You learn from it and you move forward. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. If you allow it to beat you up, well, if you allow yourself to beat yourself up, you're going to do those things. You're not going to sleep well. You're going to be mad at everybody. Yeah. No one's going to want to be around you. <laughs> you got to let it go. You've learned. Let it go. Let it go. Yeah, you've learned. And now just move forward. Now, if you look back on all of your happier life experiences um, over the course of your life, um, how did money play a role in those moments? Well, it was a progressive thing coming from nothing. You know, when you make a little bit, you feel like you've got to spend it. You feel like you have to show it, basically, because that's ultimately what it comes down to. Once I realized I didn't have to show it and that it was a tool, I started to do different things for myself. Once I started to do those things differently for me, I started to see holes in everything. It's like it's like being in the matrix, you know? Yeah. I started to see all these things that could be different. Not not just what I could do for myself to be different, but what I could show other people, other small businesses that aren't going to get this information. I have found myself in rooms on planes, private, on golf courses with billionaires because I use the people that I know and their, and their connections, six degrees of separation. Right. Sitting around those people and how they think about money, how, how, how a person that makes $60,000 a year thinks about money is completely different than the person that makes a million, which is completely different than the person that makes a billion. No, absolutely. Just completely different worlds. And learning how to think like that, or at least have those conversations, learning how to have those conversations to change those thought patterns was, it was just breathtaking to me. I mean, it was eye-opening to, to say the least. Being able to share some of those thought processes and those uh, networks in some cases mm-hmm. uh, with people that just don't have that. They don't have access to that because I don't care where you went to school, unless you went to Wharton, right. you know, uh, you're, you're not going to have a lot of this education when you start your business. So you have to align yourself with people that have that education, which only comes from being in it. Absolutely. You don't learn it anywhere else. Absolutely. And to that point, uh, what piece of advice would have helped you if you had known it sooner? Be patient. Be patient. You know, that that's the one thing for me, because there's a fine a very fine balance between being patient and being ambitious, especially when you're young, you know, you know, the whole young bull thing, right? That's right. Gotta have it now. Gotta have (laughs) it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I didn't have a mentor to say, slow down, man, look at it this way. Let's do this. Don't buy that. Let's focus on this, you know, do now. I heard a saying, which everyone has heard, but I think I was maybe 19 or 20 when I first heard it, excuse me. Do today what most people won't so you can do tomorrow what most people can't. 
Nice. Nice. And once I started to implement that, yeah. I, everything was different. I started to invest differently. I started buying businesses, you know, as opposed to starting businesses. Mm-hmm. You know, I started investing in dividend stocks, which is a very slow process. But if I can make five, six percent a year and I'm adding, you know, a thousand or two or whatever it is uh, a month or a quarter and I don't think about it and you just let it go. The dividends come in, you roll the dividends back over. And after, you know, you close your eyes five, seven, ten years later, you've amassed something quite significant. Yeah, I think I just want to reiterate right there. People reinvest your dividends <laughs> because exactly. it's it's not very noticeable on your tax return on those reinvestments. You're paying on the dividends anyway, uh, right. and let it build because you're, you're, it's just instantly going back into the into the investment. And um, that's exactly right. And there are some out there that pay very well. I mean, AT and T is like at seven percent a year, or something ridiculous. Yeah. You know, that's a, you know, I mean, that's it's not a guarantee, but it's as close as you're going to get. <laughs> no, absolutely. I'm a big uh, for my investing. I tend to invest in high paying dividend stocks versus mm-hmm. stocks that are going to appreciate because that's not a guarantee. That's right. Um, but I know if they've got a history of uh, paying dividends, uh, those are the companies I want to invest in and then reinvest the dividends. <laughs> that's right. My grandmother. My my dear sweet grandma Mary uh, would do that. She would only invest in um, this is this is the one person she passed away when I was eight, so I didn't really get to learn mm-hmm. learn from her. But uh, her she was uh, she came over here from the former Czech Republic. Okay, uh, when she was a little girl, and at some point learned that it was important to buy utility stocks, and she would buy utility stocks and reinvest the dividends. Smart. And I got that little tidbit from her. Oh, that's awesome. And that's just one of the things that I remember from her as a little boy. She was, my grandfather went to work and then she was squirreling away at her paperwork, you know, and that and that's what I learned between that and polka dancing. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, they go together. Uh, it's, that's, it's so obvious. Exactly. It's so obvious. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> now, did your mom have any beliefs about money that you remember or do you find yourself saying or that you had to let go of? Um, no, my mother was chasing money her mm-hmm. entire life. Yeah, it was it was never enough. Yeah. not that we because we didn't have a lot. You know, she I I never I've never known my mother to have less than two jobs during the holidays. She always had a third job until she got that job where she got the thirty thousand dollars. But un- until that point, and I was probably fourteen, thirteen when that occurred. But to that point, it was all even then. Really, it was always about getting it more money, getting it more money, paying the bills because, you know, she came up in the era where credit cards were new and she, you give her a thousand dollars, she's spending 1200. Exactly. You know, cause so, it's all free money that you never have to pay back when you get a credit yeah, exactly. card. <laughs> exactly. You know, so that was my experience with money. Uh, I remember my, uh, my stepfather, uh, and her, cause he was completely different <laughs> and, you know, I know that my very first real estate deal was done with him, but uh, he was completely different and he wasn't a good teacher. He just he just acted. Right. You know, he just did. He didn't talk about it. He just did. And you'd have to pay attention. But it wasn't a covert act. Right. He just didn't talk about it. You know, to him, money wasn't a thing that you discussed. It was a thing you did. Yeah. 
if that makes sense. Absolutely. And do you talk with your children about money and how much do you tell them? Absolutely. So we had my house uh, have had st- and still have money Mondays every Monday. Cool. Where we talk about the bills, we talk about the mortgage, the interest, you know, uh, the difference between um, investing and owning companies. Uh, just we talk about all these things. You know, they've had bank accounts. They run their bank accounts. They balance their books. I want them to have more of a financial education early on than I did so that and I bring them to things that I do. Uh, like closings and certain types of meetings that I have because I want them to feel comfortable in those environments because to to a certain extent in the beginning, I wasn't that comfortable because I didn't really know, but I did it anyway. And then I put on my mask and I, and I did what I had to do. But if I can take that, that piece of it away for them, they're going to grow up in a world infinitely different than the one I grew up in, in terms of their understanding of money. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. And, uh, you know, in talking about that and talking about kids, which leads to legacy, um, mm-hmm. what do you want your impact to be? So for me, you know, uh, ultimately, I want the people, I want to be able to touch enough people that can touch enough people that can touch enough people. You know, making, you know, Jeff Bezos money is not in my radar. If it happened, great. Right. Not saying I don't want that to happen. But for me, it's about creating independent recipients of wealth and and showing them, teaching them how to reciprocate that, how to give it back. And if they can do that, if I can touch and make significant changes to a hundred people in my lifetime and each one of those can do the exact same thing you may not ever remember my name three four generations from now no one will remember jason miles but they'll remember what their parents did for them and they'll remember what their grandparents did for them and so on and so forth and that would have come through me and all the people that helped me get to where i'm at that's what i want from the impact of my life in this world to be that's awesome. And I, I, I think that's awesome because it's less about taking credit um, mm-hmm. and more about knowing that there was impact that gets paid forward. Absolutely. Because who cares if my name is on a school? <laughs> and that's Jason O. <laughs> that's Jason O. Miles. Jason that's o. right. Miles, by the way. <laughs> that's right. Jason O. Miles. Not O apostrophe because a lot of people confuse that too. Oh, you're Irish. No, not today. Uh, not today. Once a year I am, though. Once a day. Yeah. Maybe not this year, but. Uh... <laughs> yeah. I didn't get the opportunity this year. We didn't though. get to do that this year. Oh, uh, well, Jason, this has been so wonderful. Um, where can people find you on social media? Well, it's Jason O. Miles, M Y L E S. So you can find me everywhere there Facebook, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. It's Jason O. Miles. And um, uh, we teach real estate and we teach, uh, we do all kinds of different things, right? So I've just got a, a book that just came out on Amazon. It's called When There's Blood in the Streets A Real Estate Investor's Guide to Winning. You know, so uh, this is the time, the times that we're living in now, these are the times when people accumulate massive amounts of wealth. So I wanted to really share that with people. And 
for people to not worry about not having any money. I started this business with literally $300. Wow. You know, so if I can do it, anybody can do it. You just have to want to do it. And then, of course, uh, we have a lot of uh, educational materials, real estate and business related. Um, you can find a lot of those at, on the website. It's the Jason O. Miles RE Network. Dot com. I know it's a little long. That's all right. We'll make sure that that's posted in our information, <laughs> and we'll be sure and post about the book. So if people want to buy the book, uh, they can click on that, and we'll make that all Absolutely. accessible. Um, I think that's awesome. I love what you're doing and uh, helping people get f- more financially literate um, yes. and, and learning to build uh, their wealth um, without making money being the only driving factor. Um, That's right. But certainly being able to enjoy the the uh, the benefits of of the work that you've sown. That's right. So and you got to live below your means, guys. <laughs> live below your means. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I so appreciate it. Uh, I want to say to our listeners, please don't forget to share the love. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for Money You Should Ask, all one word. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, or your favorite podcast player. And if you prefer to watch our episodes, head over to YouTube and subscribe to our channel. Uh, Jason O. Miles, it has been incredibly awesome having this conversation with you. I really hope people will check out your book, check out your uh, Real Estate 360, if I have that right. And uh, like, take advantage, ask questions, and listen and learn from what you've already been doing out there. And um, I so appreciate you coming on the show. And thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you very, very much.